Hi everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when and what do I do when, so that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to this episode. I am really honored to be able to kick off Pride Month, even though we wish it were Pride Year all year, every year, all the time. I am happy to kick off Pride Month by welcoming Jeannie Gainsberg to the show. Welcome, Jeannie. Thank you. Happy Pride Month. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me on your show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting. We were, you know, our, our pre-visit as a, you know, we could go on for hours and days, I'm sure. And today we have the privilege of being able to talk about allyship and LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus kids and parents and people and language and and getting allyship right. Um, some of us know that we're parenting LGBTQ plus youth. Others of us don't know that we may or may not be parenting LGBTQ plus youth. And so uh, we're going to get to dive into lots of different ways to show up in allyship and language and pronouns and all those goodies. But tell me a little bit first and for my listeners, how... You've written a book. You have a second edition of your book out. Tell us about that and tell us about how you came to this work. 
Well, um, so let me just start by saying, you know, please refer to me as Jeannie. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Um, I'm not a part of the LGBTQ plus communities. I'm uh, straight and cisgender. I'm assuming we don't have to define that for your audience. I don't know. Maybe we do. Cisgender meaning not transgender. So um, I'm straight and I'm not transgender. And I got involved. I was, I like, I, I talk about being a late bloomer to, to allyship. I didn't get actively involved until I was 40 years old, despite feeling very strongly about LGBTQ plus inclusion my whole life. I really didn't know there was a role that for me there in that movement. Um, I didn't early on, I didn't even know the word ally in a social justice framework. Um, and because I didn't have anyone who I knew of in my family that was LGBTQ plus and I um, didn't have any close connection to the communities, I wasn't sure I'd be welcome. Um, so I, I did nothing for a really, really long time, which is kind of embarrassing to admit on a podcast, but there you go. Um, and then at age 40, like a bunch of things came together for me. One was that um, marriage equality was newly being taught about in the media. And that was one of the first things that I was able to latch onto and be like, oh, there's something I actually could help with. You know, like in my ignorance, I didn't even realize what there was and wasn't available to do as an ally. So that was one of the first real things that I was like, oh yeah, okay, marriage equality, I can, I can help fight for that and get involved. Um, my children were school-aged, young school-aged, and I was really disappointed with what I was hearing my, um, especially my son who was older, coming back and sharing with me about like some of the teasing that was happening, especially among the boys, calling each other derogatory names um, related to being gay. And I was like, really? We're still there? <laughs> I just, somehow I just expected things to be so much better than them. It, like, it sounded like what was happening when I was in elementary school. So that was really disappointing. Um, and then finally, my husband gave me a book um, on the women's fight for the right to vote in the U.S. And I was doing this thing that I always do when I read history, which was like putting myself back in that time period and uh, thinking about how I would have behaved if I had lived back then. And I had convinced myself that I would have been marching right alongside all these amazing women and fighting for my right to vote. And I suddenly realized that I, I was being so hypocritical, you know, like there are social justice fights going on in my lifetime. Hadn't done a thing about it. So it, I was so motivated by this thought that evening that in the morning, you know, I, it was still with me. And I looked up the word gay in the phone book because, you know, that's all we had back then. Um, <laughs> and fortunately, our agency here in Rochester, New York, was called the Gay Alliance. So it was very easy to find. We later changed our name to the More Inclusive Out Alliance. But um, I called and asked if I could volunteer. And um, that literally launched me into a career as an ally. I, I volunteered for them for two years. They hired me two years in and I stayed on for a total of 15 years at that agency. And my final five years there, I was the education director, which put me in charge of all crafting all of their workshops and training all of their speakers. And by the time I you know, moved on from that position, I had such a wealth of information in my head about how to be an ally that I just wanted to get it out into the world. Um, I literally wrote the book that I wished I had had when I started because I knew nothing. And I was like, please tell me what, what to say and what not to say. Like, I, I'm so worried I'm going to offend someone, which is most of the folks I find making up my, my audiences when I speak now is just really big hearted people who are scared to death that they're going to mess up. So my book is, is a guidebook on how to be an ally and, um, and all of those do's and don'ts. And, uh, it was originally published in, um, March of 2020, which was a great time to launch your first book. Uh, March 12th, 2020, if you can picture that. So 
Whoa. Don't do that, folks. Um, first bit of first takeaway tip of the day. Don't. First takeaway. Oh my gosh, it was like practically day one of a national pandemic shutdown. Um, so that was bad. It was a very slow start, um, and I was really, you know, of course, disappointed. Teachers somehow teachers had other things on their minds yeah. than LGBTQ plus inclusion on March twelfth. Anyway, things got better. The book did very well. My publisher wanted a second edition, and I just uh, published that. They just published that, excuse me, um, two months ago. So it just came out um, hot off the presses. It's got four new chapters. It's got um, a lot of new content throughout, and um, it's got my illustrations. I actually did some illustrations in there, had some fun with that. And um, so I'm really excited about it. And actually, I'm donating 100% of the royalties from the first year of purchases are going to be going towards um, LGBTQ plus nonprofits. Yeah, it's uh, really cool. Because as we know, you know, this is a it's a strange, awful, scary time in the larger political landscape in terms of the, the basic human rights of folks in community being challenged. So I think it's especially poignant for us to be able to talk uh to listeners today about how in the midst of that overwhelming news what can we still do on the day-to-day what does the walk look like like you know we talk the talk now how do we walk the walk of allyship around um caring for for kids within our extended families within our communities or within our own homes so what do you, what do you say to parents who really don't know if this applies to them if you're listening and you're like, okay, I want to be an ally, I don't think my guy, I don't know, my kids are too young to for me to know yet or for them. Like, what? where do you start with people who are showing up wondering if this will become something they need to navigate in their own home or if they are going to be allies out in the broader world? Yeah. Great question. Um, yeah, even if they're, even if you're not even suspicious, like as you said, like maybe your children are really young. I mean, what a great place to start when your kids are tiny. Um, people often ask me, like, when's a good time to, you know, talk with my kids about, like, you know, gay parents, for example. And I'm like, as soon as you can prop their chubby little bodies up against your belly and put a book in front of their faces, like, of course. And that goes for, like, learning about people of different, like, races and and different, you know, abilities and, like, all those things. I mean, that's when we should be doing it because when we, when we normalize it in that way, it just becomes like, oh, this is just another way that people can be. It doesn't become this weird deviant thing right so so i you know i again i I mentioned um i i don't know if i mentioned excuse me i have two children neither of them um are part of the lgbtq plus communities um at at this point we know that you know people can be a lifelong journey of sort of discovering who you are um but at this point they're they're not and, and i still was very intentional in the books that i read them from very early on i just wanted them to learn about all different kinds of families and all different kind of people and i just think that's such a great way to to begin when your children are young. Um, but a few more tips that I have that I, that I also tried to do was to really try and ungender your your language and your expectations so that you know you're not saying things like oh are you see you know are you um, do you have a boyfriend do you have a girlfriend or you know just are you seeing anyone special like stay open to the idea that your child might be um, you know who might be attracted to anybody um, also along the lines of like you know attire like be open to them wanting to wear anything allow them 
to wear anything, um, you know, rather than like, you know, let's do you want to go shop for a prom dress? Maybe do you want to go shop for a prom outfit? You know, something to wear for prom, just all those little things that we I think often don't even realize that we're gendering <laughs> in yeah. our language. Um, believe me, if, you're, if your child is struggling with c- maybe coming out to you about being LGBTQ+, they are listening to your language. Um, so those things are, are so huge. Yeah, I, and I really appreciate that. Like, I think those are two key places that we, that so much of it is assumptive. We don't realize that we are assuming heterosexuality when we approach folks, when we're asking about like, oh, is there any special boy in your life? Or, oh, is that... And I'm also still just gobsmacked at how young people do the, is that your girlfriend thing in kindergarten? You know what I mean? Is that your girl? Oh, that's a girl. Like teasing and, and mocking. That's, that's a separate issue. Uh, but the, but the one that matters today, especially is this idea of like, is there anyone special? Is there, do you have any crushes? That's the question. Do you have any crushes? And, and I would agree with you from what I've seen in my work. If, Young people who are navigating this journey become very vigilant for safety reasons and for their own, you know, security reasons in terms of listening for cues that you might be a safe person in this in this sharing, watching what you do. Um, and as you did and as I forgot to do in this episode, introduced myself right away with pronouns. Yeah, this is Laura Dodger and my pronouns are she, her. That will get the attention of kids who are sorting through pronoun things and for whom these topics are super um, powerful. So, so you can't. And actually, can I just say, don't don't be afraid to go. If you mess up, don't be afraid to go back. I remember a moment when my son asked me something. It was I'm not sure if I'm I can share it on the podcast. It was actually rather raunchy. He read something on a park bench when he was little, like really little. And he was like, Mom, what does this mean? It was something sexual. Mm-hmm. And I was I explained to him what it meant. And I explained to it to him in a very heterosexual way. Like, just like I was already a little bit nervous because it was, you know, I always answered his questions. But again, you always get a little nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to my five-year-old about this stuff. But I'm like, I was always open to his questions. So I just explained it in a very heterosexual way. And Honestly, I think it was like, you know, half a day later, I was like, what are you doing? I realized what I said. So I went back the next day and I was like, hey, Hayden, remember when we talked about this? This It it doesn't have to be a woman. It could be a man when doing this thing. (laughs) Like, I just like, I had to go back. And I think that's fine. Like, because you will slip up because that's, you know, again, sort of, I just always say, be kind to yourself. I mean, we, you know, that we're, we're so used to, to sort of heteronormative stuff that try not to beat yourself up if you end up saying something like that, but, but go back, have those, have those later, you know, conversations. No. And I totally appreciate that. I think when I, yeah, when we talked to parents, just sort of saying it's, it is absolutely a hundred percent possible. And in fact, you know, a beautiful mandate in the world of social justice to show up in your house where you are. And it sounds so overly simplified, but it's so powerful. Just normalizing, just normalizing. You use that word too. But like, here are stories about families where same gender loving folks exist. Here's watching a TV show and wondering out loud, you know, oh, I wonder if, you know, 
their date is a boy or a girl. Like there are just ways or somebody who identifies as both, you know, like there are ways to introduce these things as a normal part of life so that so that they become almost like, you know, wallpaper <laughs> in a way yes. that it's just sort of background noise. And there's so much um, possibility because I think parents get themselves in trouble when they're worried about misspeaking. Or, or they seem to boil everything down to sex. So they feel as if having every conversation about um, LGBTQ existence means talking to your kid about sex in detail. And, and not only is it healthy to talk to your kids at developmentally appropriate, you know, in developmentally appropriate ways about sex, but talking about LGBTQ life is not only talking about sex. Right. And what happens is parents show up nervous. And so their kids are like, Ooh, what is this secret or taboo or weird thing we're discussing? Because dad seems kind of rattled, you know what I mean? Or mom seems a little bit stammering today. Like, I wonder what's going on. So, so yeah, noticing your own energy, coming into the room or the space of the conversation with curiosity and inviting your kid to have curiosity and just, just normalizing that that oftentimes LGBTQ folks are either um, assumed to be errant or wrong or different or they're invisible so that your commitment as a, as a family and as a parent is to make visible and make normal <laughs> in the way that you're talking about, right? Does that sound right? In terms of yes. And I love what you said about like seeing something on TV and talking about it. Like that was my other tip was like, you know, there's so much LGBTQ plus um, content in the news right now, you know, just sort of talk out loud, have conversations about you know, how you feel about these things um, so that your 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 kids are hearing that. Um, get, I always say, get caught reading something gay, right? I mean, <laughs> like, we, you know, read read my book, for example, The Savvy Ally. It's a beautiful rainbow cover. Leave it on your coffee table, you know, or any other book about LGBTQ plus people or families. Leave that out so you're, again, this would be probably your older, yes. you know, kids or the kids that can read can see what you're reading and, you know, maybe have a conversation about what's that you're reading, mom, why you're reading that, you know, and, and great, great moments to have conversations. And, and I also think, too, it's it's a with with teens in particular talking to them about anything but this stuff. I always encourage parents to say, like, what are you hearing about this? Right. Like, what are, what are you are people at school talking about this piece or is this coming up in any of your classes? I, just as a foot in the door in terms of talking to teens and saying, like, what do you think they should have equal rights? You know what I mean? Like that's sometimes kids will shut down where if you're like, hey, what's this? What's the scuttle about this at school? Or do you, are you talking about this in civics or social studies or whatever? Um, what do you think about what's shifting? So you're starting next to your kid and you'll still get their ideas and they're they're more likely to share kind of how they're thinking about stuff. So um so yeah, those are those are great tips for, for just it's just setting making making an environment or a set a milieu in which you're not going to have to undo the the assumptive you know heterosexuality if you have a child that comes out otherwise so if we have parents that are tuning in because they're they're new to the um to the knowing that they are parenting a child who is identifying in the lgbtq plus community do you have any thoughts about language around that in terms of your your kid 
has come out. It, it, it is they've identified to you that this is uh, evolving for them, or this is something that they know to be true, and they've offered to you that that they are not cisgender and they are not straight. Um, thoughts that jump out as sort of common mistakes, and I'm putting that in quotes because the big, one of the other big takeaways today again is that where you can redo, you can rebuild, you can yep. repair. But what are some of the common, you know, hiccups experienced in those situations? Um, so I think one of the big ones is to avoid just trying to figure out why your child is like this. Because when you when you try and figure out why this happened, <laughs> it implies that this is a less than stellar outcome. Like No one tries to figure out why their kids are straight and cisgender, right? So just the very idea of like, you're what what might have caused this? Was this the time that I let, you know, my son wear red nail polish? Like, no, it's not. And, and, and any language that has to do with sort of what might have caused this or, or again, indicating, I think the most common one is that, oh, this is just a phase. You know, these are, these are all things that I think, again, imply that this is not the best outcome, that you're a little disappointed with this outcome. So even if you're feeling that way, those are great things to keep to yourself. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the phase because I think that's super common. And, and I think that's, and I have to say, I think that's valid because um, I know that, especially like in middle school, kids try things out and they try things. Everyone's doing this. I'm going to try this. So there has been, you know, yes, there's been a, a just an overwhelming number of of kids coming out as non-binary. Um, and I absolutely don't, don't want to imply that this is all a phase. I think for some of them, it may be that they're trying that out. And I think that what we want to think about is what's wrong with that? Like there's nothing wrong with trying to figure out who you are. In fact, that's a great thing. So it's actually a positive, even if it's, even if it is a phase, like, great, let this person, let, let my child figure out who they are. Um, and so that, that idea of maybe it's just a phase, even if you're thinking, oh, my, my kid is very prone to sort of trying what all the other kids are trying. And I think this might not stick. Um, don't say it. It's it's their reality for the moment, and it may be something that changes, and it may not. But that that's just a very hurtful comment. I, I talk about um, in my book. I talk about the switch it technique, which I use like throughout my life, ongoing. But it's such a useful tip. So the switch it technique is basically switching out the LGBTQ plus identity for a straight cisgender identity and seeing like is this a respectful thing to say? Or would I ask this question of, you know, like a straight, um, a straight cisgender child, for example. Um, and those things really help us. So as I mentioned, something like, might this be a phase? We would never ask a straight child, might it just be a phase that you're straight? So we get a hint right there that that probably isn't the most respectful thing to say. Um, when it comes to kind of getting back to your comment, Laura, about um, how hard it is to talk about sexual things, people's heads go right to sex when they when they hear LGBTQ+, um, many people's heads go right to sex. If we're struggling with sort of like how to have a conversation with our child about like relationships, switch it and think about like, what would I talk with my straight cisgender child about when it comes to sex and relationships? We'd probably talk about like, you know, um, healthy dating practices, um, you know, what makes a healthy relationship, how fun crushes are, um, where to go for health care if they need it. Those are all the same things you're going to talk with your LGBTQ plus child about. So I just like that, again, that switch of technique, I'm, <laughs> I'm just constantly using it. And I think it's like 
one of the best tools that I can offer to any parent um, who's struggling with um, sort of how to how to talk to or how to relate to their LGBTQ plus child. Um, That's great. I've got more. I don't need to keep going on. No, (laughs) no, I really I think that's a huge one. Like stop and ask yourself. Right. Exactly. If my child came, you know, my female identified child came home and announced they had a boyfriend, would I say now? Are you sure? Right. Like, oh, really? Well, everybody seems to have boyfriends these days. (laughs) Right. And I think to your point, too, what I see, Jeannie, is the this it's it's really interesting. You sort of I find in the the media, in some ways, kind of divided. Where because there's a whole lot of noise about this is a phase. Everybody's trying this out. It's all contagion. This is what happens when you let people do this. They're going to talk your kids into it. Like just not based in truth or fact. Sort of um, f- fury or whatever, or like panic that this is this wave of contagious queerness or whatever right that that what's happened is sometimes you know for folks in the advocating world they're like it's never never you know and the truth is somewhere in between what i'd say if you believe some of the main media you would think everybody's just trying this out it is inevitably a phase 95 percent of kids these days are identified it's like no no that's not happening it is not, you know, everybody. It is not totally socially powerful to be LGBTQ plus these days. I have so many parents that come in feeling that their kid is going to gain social power if they identify as LGBTQ plus. Um, I know. And yet when you work in the lived experience of kids who are really navigating this, that doesn't that is not happening. They are still bullied, teased isolated um so there's this sense in the in the general media that this is something that is overly you know given permission to uncontagious and and the truth is as you mentioned i would just you know punctuate there are some kids that may not continue to identify as lgbtq plus as they move into adulthood but it isn't the mass hysteria numbers that one part of the media wants you to believe and you Absolutely. do so much more harm if you have a child who will continue to identify and you're asking about phases. And you're, the other favorite question that I love, how did you know? Mm-hmm. Right. That's a great It's like, you know. Or when did you choose worse? Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> that's, the, that's the worst version of that question. And and you may, right, and we may ask, again, it's like with grace that I hold parents who are, things are racing through their mind. And, and parents, yeah. you know, is it? Is it understandable if parents are confused or they're nervous or they're a little sad because this isn't what they expected? Yes. And this is what I do in a lot of my work and your work and my work probably meet right in the intersection of this stuff. Like there is a time and a place for parents to say, what? Oh, no. Or wait, this isn't what it Well, What about that? Or there are still bigots. And and how am I going to keep them safe? And and what? Right. There is a place for that. But it's not right with your kid when they're talking to you about this. Right. It is finding the spaces not face to face with your vulnerable child. And even if they're shouting it at you at the kitchen table, they're still vulnerable as they're coming into knowing this stuff. Right. So. So I just I just think these kids are going to be so much healthier, have such a better understanding of who they are when they get to be my age than my generation. 
you know, again, this hysteria. I'm like, these these kids are thinking about who they are. They're trying things out. It's such a beautiful thing. I mean, I when I I mentioned that I worked at the the Alliance and I I trained all of our speakers, which meant that I heard hundreds of coming out stories. So much sadness there. So many people who knew they were gay got married because they they just couldn't face it. It was so unacceptable. Had kids, got the divorce. The the parents don't speak to them, or they had to. They were torn from their faith community, or like just these horrible stories about people who either didn't know who they were or knew who they were and denied it until later in life. And I'm like, I just feel like these kids they're they're doing it right. You know, they're they're really thinking. They, they have an opportunity to think early on of who they are and and it's just we're expanding our ideas of who people can be and it's it's so lovely I think part of the part of the panic truly um comes in around like surgeries I think people jump so quickly from you know oh my child is is saying that they want to use the pronoun they now and their heads jump to like does this mean they're yeah. going to be, you know, transitioning and needing surgery. And I understand that 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 brings a new level of concerns if your child feels yes. like they want to have surgery on their body. But um, it, that's the that's the minority. You yes. know what I mean? And so I think and, and I also just think let's not don't jump there. Just just move with your child as they're telling you who they are and as they're exploring and discovering and all those things. And try not to get ahead of yourself with some of those bigger questions um, that may, you know, in, again, get get more serious. Well, and it's interesting, too, right? Yes. And I, that's funny because I often say, right, where they parents either go straight to sex or surgery. <laughs> and they, boil, they boil, you know, same gender loving down, you know, in terms of being LGB or, um, you know, who you're attracted to, to sex. And then they boil gender down to parts and surgeries. And I did want to spend a little time because it's so interesting in this work. Language is super powerful. Trying to stay kind of tuned in around language and how it changes, asking your kid about language, educating yourself a little about language, and also knowing that you're just going to make mistakes. So being able to bring humility into it. So much of the goodness of these conversations is an intent, um, you know, your tone, how you're asked the same question of like, you know, hey, all right, well, let's chat a little bit. When do you think you started getting glimmers? Or when do you think you might have noticed that 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 this is happening for you is very different from, so, well, how long do you think you've known, right? Like, like curiosity, being, balancing your own need to know, balancing your own need to race forward. Um, I just think there's there's so much power in parents just recognizing language matters, our kids are going to be forgiving if you are curious and open-minded and want to learn more about the way young people are literally expanding the boxes, changing the boxes, trying to 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 make more room for a diversity of experience than what we have traditionally kind of locked in. Say a little bit, and I know this could be a whole other episode and we're gonna we're gonna need to, but wrap say say a little bit about pronouns. So we talked some about if you're, you know, the sexual attraction is is um, one element because sometimes this can be confusing for parents too. Some people listening here totally know this already. Others may have found us before they're 100% clear on that. So what I say when I was first learning this stuff is your sexual attraction, and this is an oversimplified statement, but your sexual attraction is who you want to go to bed with 
Your gender identity is who you want to go to bed as. So for parents to imagine that, that there's so much more complicated than that. But I remember when I first heard that as somebody, I'm like, oh, okay. So if we're talking about gender identity, your head and heart felt sense of how male, female, both neither that you are. Talk to the parents out there who are trying to wrap their minds around pronouns, around they as a singular. Like, <laughs> what can what can parents who are turning in get writer about pronouns and their kids? Oof. Okay, you're right. I could talk for an hour on this. Um, I won't. Don't I don't want to scare you. Um, let me think of a few highlights. One of let me start by saying that people think that pronouns are like a transgender thing. Like I'm, I'm always so surprised when people are like, can you talk about the importance of pronouns? I'm like the importance of pronouns. Pronouns are important for all of us. Like just try going a, an hour without using a pronoun. It's like, so like most of us move through the world and the correct pronoun is used for us. And so we're oblivious to how important pronouns are. You know, it's like, people see me they're like oh your pronouns are she her they automatically refer to me in that way um but pronouns are a human issue and what one of the examples i want to share about that is that there are plenty of transgender people who move through the world and the correct pronoun is always used for them and there are plenty of cisgender people who move through the world and the wrong pronoun is used for them um so <laughs> right what we're doing is we're moving through the world people are taking a look at our gender expression, the way we style our hair, the clothing we're wearing, whether we have tattoos, how how we walk. And they're applying this, they're making this gendered assumption and they're applying a pronoun. And that can be wrong for trans folks and cis folks. So it, this isn't a transgender issue, folks. This is a human issue. Um, to me, you know, pronouns are very similar to titles, I think some of the some of the anger and confusion that happens around pronouns, especially like we're hearing in a lot of school districts that parents are pushing back about against teachers asking about pronouns. I think the confusion is that that they're they're unclear what's being asked. When we ask someone if they'd like to share their pronouns, we're basically saying, how can we refer to you? How may I respectfully refer to you? Um we're not asking anyone how they identify. And I think there's a lot of confusion about that. You know, we're not asking your kid, are you lesbian? Are you trans? All we're saying is, how may I respectfully refer to you? And I think that distinction is so important. Um, it's much more similar to asking someone their title. You know, you look at me and you're like, is she a Ms., a Mrs., a Mix, a, a Miss, a doctor? You have no idea unless I tell you. Um, and I and so pronouns are, are very much like that. So I think they've gotten so blown out of proportion and just lumped on as this transgender issue when, of course, it's not. Um, I have plenty of friends who are cisgender who are constantly getting misgendered um, because they're, again, their gender expression isn't feminine enough or masculine enough. But I want to talk about singular they too. A lot of people, folks, if you're struggling with singular they, you're not alone. Um, it's very, very difficult to get good at singular they, um, especially if it's new to you. Um, a few things I want to share about the wonderful pronoun singular they, why we should embrace it. Um, <laughs> Well, if there's any Jane Austen fans out there, I'm a huge Jane Austen fan. Jane Austen uses singular they in every single one of her novels. Um, it's been used like for Shakespeare used it. It's been used 
for a long, long time. Um, it is now considered grammatically correct. So it's been added to many dictionaries as specifically as a singular pronoun. And most of us have probably been using it our whole lives without even realizing it. So if we like walk into a coffee shop and there's a phone left on the table, very few of us are going to say, oh, someone left his or her phone. I hope he or she gets it back. We're probably going to say someone left their phone. I hope they get it back. We know it's one person who left that phone. We're using singular they because we're not sure that what pronoun to use or what gender the person is who left the phone. So most likely you've been using it all automatically already. Um, so a couple tips that I have, folks, for those of you who um, have um, someone in your life who uses singular they and you're and you're struggling a little bit, um, I would recommend that you put the person's pronoun next to their name in your phone contacts. So if it's a child, for example, every time they call or text you, you're going to get the name and you're going to see they right next to it. And it's going to be this reminder immediately. Um, anyone who knows anything about memory and retention knows that when we first learn a new thing, we have to have that repetition early on and often or we lose it. So the the phone, I think, is just a fantastic way to, to get that repetition of just seeing the name and they, the name and they. Um, I actually write things down in a place that I'll see it over and over and over. I still use an old school daily planner that I look at like a bajillion times a day. And that's where I'll write down, like if I've messed up someone's pronoun, I'll write their name and their pronoun down there. Um, one of my favorite tips for getting singular they right, and this this actually came to me by my friend who uses singular they. I thought it was so clever. Definitely something to check out with your child first if you have a child who uses singular they. You wouldn't want the child to be offended in any way. Um, but what my friend told me to do was to um, practice using singular they on my pet. So I have a cat named Carlos who I think uses he, him pronouns, who knows. Um, but for a while, I was referring to Carlos using singular they, and I got really, really good at it. And Carlos did not seem to mind as long as I remember to feed him on time. Um, so if your child thinks that's an okay idea or a fun idea, that it's a great way to get really good at using singular they is to practice on a cat or a dog. Wouldn't work so well on a goldfish, I imagine, but... <laughs> You'll refer to them as often. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that I love the practical tips in this stuff because there are, there are, there really are parents who are like, I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's confusing. I lose, I lose track of how like it, it, it really is a beautiful, if you can relax about getting it right or wrong. I love the Jane Austen examples. I love the phone on the table. Um, there, you know, scissors, they, you know, there, there are lots of different ways, both with people and language that we have made room for that over time. And so it is just a reminder to, to parents to be able to recognize that this is beautifully expansive, you know, it's like really a, a, a pretty amazing way to encapsulate, you know, masculine and feminine, feminine energies and, and just, that, that what would it be like if there was room for a broader way of doing our gender? And what if your kid is introducing that to you? And not, not that it's all easy, not that everybody understands it. It's a very politically charged time. I think folks, adolescents in particular, who are identifying as maybe non-binary or trans non-binary who are using they, get most of the phase questions, the confused questions, the 
the this is, you know, contagious, um, you know, wokeness gone wrong for a whole group of people who don't don't think that social justice is, is valid. Um, and so this is also an invitation to bring careful curiosity. If you if you have a child who's taken the time to acknowledge that this is something that matters to them and is meaningful for them right now. I think one of the big things that comes up, and this is 99% of the parents that I've met, struggling or not, are trying to figure out how to be protective, right? I think if you're not a parent, and I did this work for a long time before I was a parent, I think I was pretty good at it, (laughs) Uh, meaning child psychology in general. And once I was a parent... I really had a distinct understanding of the enormity of the responsibility I felt for my child's wellness and for my child's safety and for, you know, trying to help them navigate uh, the world. And I, I get why parents are nervous about these things being making your child different, placing your child at risk. Um, suddenly, if you're a family who is white and and straight and, you know, happens to have your head, heart and parts all line up from, you know, birth. And so you haven't had to. This can feel really scary because it's a loss of privilege. You know, suddenly your family's identified as different. There are people who can offend, you know, quote unquote. There are there are kids at risk in certain places. It's a, it, it is a big deal for families to to adjust. And we know that kids who are expressing these things need us to figure out how to for their wellness. The most protective thing we can do is uh, careful curiosity, palms up advocacy. They're, they're going to need us because it is true that, you know, parts of the rest of the world don't aren't making the same effort to understand. And so our kids need us even more in those situations. Absolutely. And I like I love your idea of your comment about careful curiosity. And I think the only other tip that I would recommend that parents take into consideration is to check in with your child about like when and where to ask questions, Um, because as we're learning, I mean, there's a lot we can learn on our own. So I would encourage people to, you know, do like do your research. If you have a question, maybe first see if you can find the information online or 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 in a book. Um, but if you have a child who's really open to you asking them questions, um, it would be really it's really important to make sure that the time is is right for that, and it's just not a constant. <laughs> Right. You know, your, your kid may have had a tough day, like gone, you know, been misgendered like all day long and then they come home and they just want to put their music on and relax. And you've got like, hey, I've got three questions may not be the best time. Um, so, you know, talk with your child about you may have a child who truly is like, ask me any question anytime. I'm so glad that you're interested. Great. But you also may have a child who's like, you know, um, maybe we could set up a time, you know, maybe like Sunday morning is coffee you know, LGBTQ plus chat time. Let's like set aside a time where we, you can ask questions and I can, and I can talk, whatever, whatever works for you and your child. But I think it's important to have those conversations too. Um, so that we're not just constantly asking questions, which can be, um, really, really difficult, especially after a long day. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think, I do think there is this sense that kids these days, that there's social power, that if you have, and I hear this from I hear this most from um, 
cisgender, heterosexual parents of so far cis hetero kids, but who are allies. I hear this from progressive folks who are allies uh, more often than not that that this is not a thing that's stressful for kids these days. That there's so many kids coming out that either as gay or as trans and the umbrella that it that it's actually a powerful thing. They're getting socially reinforced that they are rewarded in some way for 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 being this cool thing, you know, and I'm like, no, no, uh, my caseload is full and other people who do this work, uh, you know, so, so yes, it's especially valuable. I say that to say, to make a couple of points that, that your child does need support, that they may have had a day full of jokes and um elbowing and disrespectful language and um and so finding a time where you can connect with them and asking permission to think about well, hey when can you know when can we sit down i think is really valuable i think it's also um super and i, I said it before but i think it's a nice place to kind of think about wrapping up too what we want is for you to ask to try. I mean, literally imagine that there's a box in your head that is opening. <laughs> like there is some kind of present in your head that you are gently opening without ripping all the paper off. And that you, because you can ask the same questions with a desire to understand that will land very differently than asking because you want to disprove. And I think sometimes parents are like, I hope this isn't happening because my child will be in danger. And so, so are you sure? And do you, how do you know? Isn't everybody like just the tone as opposed to like, all right, well, like, I mean, talk to me about that. Like, what makes you think this is so? Like, there, there's just different, that energy that you bring. If you are asking to understand and to expand and open this box in your head, you are going to be able to stay connected to your kid and you're going to get different information than if you come to the conversation either challenging the validity right like trying to actively disprove this can be a thing or trying to make it go away if you're if you're trying to disprove it or make it go away you're not going to stay in communication with your kid you're not and you're not going to get information and you're not going to know how to protect them and we know the single most protective thing for young people and kids who are navigating these identities is parent affirmation, love, and support. It is the most protective thing that can happen for kids on this journey. So any final thoughts for parents as we wrap up? Anything you want to make? I mean, you're, I love all the very concrete tips that you've given. Anything else that you want to leave them with? I guess I just the the thought that I'm that's still kind of rattling around in my head is that I I wish I w my my view of the future my if I ran the world um no what I'd like to see is that you know the only reason that that LGBTQ plus um people have to come out is because we've got a problem with our society so there's not not a problem with the people there's a problem with the with the way we raise people and our expectations that they're going to be straight and cisgender. So they've got to have this big coming out moment. And I really wish that it were, and I hope in the future it'll be more like discovering that your child is left-handed, 
So, you know, you have a newborn baby and you're like, this baby's probably going to be right-handed, just going on the numbers, but the child could be left-handed too. Hey, let's just wait and see, right? I mean, that's what I I think the goal is um, for just LGBTQ plus, you know, kids figuring out who they are. Let's just wait and see and let's treat it as if it's left-handed. If your child is left-handed, you're not going to be like, what caused this? What did we do wrong? Like there's so many, there's so many things, parallels along with this that are like, they just want it to be like that. And then the come the whole coming out process goes away. You know, LGBTQ plus centers disappear. They become museums because, you know, there's no extra support for those left-handed kids. Like, you know, so just it, it just if you can sort of always go back to thinking about treating this as if your child is left handed, um, knowing that in the future, who knows, maybe they're going to become ambidextrous or <laughs> yes. maybe they're right handled, you know. Right. OK, maybe I'm carrying it too far, <laughs> but you get where I'm going with this. Right. Like, just just be open to the fact that your child may be anything. Um, and again, it's not just for an individual person, but I wish I wish the world looked at it that way. I love that. And that is a great ending point. And for, I really think just, yeah, using metaphors that resonate with parents, using concrete, you know, switch it out tips and things like that is fabulous. The Savvy Ally in its updated uh, version is out there. Folks can find in the show notes ways to find you and have you come talk to their organization schools. We could do a whole other. In fact, I'm already planning to invite you back for a school's schools teachers and language uh specific conversation so i stay tuned i'm perfect i will reach out right after we stop recording here thank you so much Jeannie, for joining today thank you this was really fun i appreciate the conversation all right well thanks for listening today just a quick note here at the end to say i am so glad you joined and i hope you are too and if you'd like to connect with me more come take a look at my website www.drlauraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch, and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, on Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places, and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.